world, welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language, episode 324. Did you know that we're going to be talking a lot about Facebook today? They captured more than 2,000 hours of first-person video to train next-generation AI. If that doesn't interest you, maybe the uh, decision that Facebook made about how you can basically call for the death of public figures. Now, wild on Facebook, they're totally fine with that. If you're a president, if you're a celebrity, that sort of thing, uh, and people call for your death, that's fine. But you can't call for the death death of a private individual. Can someone please explain to me uh, the difference? I don't really get it. And then they recently updated it to say that you can't call for the death of a journalist. But why are we calling for the death of anyone? It uh, doesn't seem appropriate to me. Facebook will adopt new policies to address harassment targeting public figures. Yeah, I'm going to dive into that. Google rolling out continuous scroll on mobile. It's finally here. Um, the guy who came up with continuous scroll said that he regrets it um, because of the addictive quality of the never-ending scroll. Uh, I don't really need more than one page on my Google search results usually, but it's no noteworthy from an SEO perspective. Bloomberg.com. Can Twitter get us to be nice? We're talking about some of the changes going on there. Um, the most pertinent one is uh, if you retweet an article before reading it, Twitter will say, hey, maybe you should read it first. Um, Google YouTube to prohibit ads and monetization on climate denial content. They, of course, are going to make the call as to what's climate denial content and what isn't. But let's dive right in. Facebook captured more than 2,000 hours of first-person video to train next-generation AI. This is from CNBC.com. All links to all articles right there in the description. Facebook has announced a research project in which it collected 200, excuse me, 2,200 hours of first-person footage from around the world to train next-generation AI models. The project is called Ego4D, and it could prove to be crucial to Facebook's Reality Labs division which is working on smart glasses, augmented reality, and virtual reality projects. Facebook said it will make the Ego4D data set publicly available to researchers in November. So we are very soon going to find ourselves in a culture in which we are all wearing these glasses. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw The Midnight Gospel or not, but you should really check that one out. That's a great uh, show on Netflix. And basically, this dude just sticks his head into some sort of alternate dimension portal machine. And um, he flies around and experiences himself as an avatar in these various dimensions. And it's quite interesting. And I'm not convinced that we are not currently an avatar in a digital space in this particular reality. But uh, there's a word called Shaharazad, which means a dream within a dream. So perhaps when we play a video game, we are experiencing precisely that concept. But uh, Facebook ramping up their first-person video to train next-generation AI leads me to believe that this technology is able to recognize emotion. Now, Google has an API for photos that I have used in the past where literally it will tell me the happiness quotient of a photo that I upload. I put in a picture of my face, for example, and I'll say with 96% accuracy, we think you're happy. Now, can you only imagine... Um, a two-faced camera, which is to say there's an external camera on glasses you're wearing and there's another camera that somehow monitors your face, this 
uh, Google Lens or this thing, this apparatus you wear on your head could also detect changes in body temperature. It could tell you if you're, if you're getting sick. It could tell that you're upset. It could. But here's the thing. When it knows all of those things, it's going to serve ads to you based on that. So, for example, um, if uh, there was a fully, um, what would you call it, immersive virtual experience gadget that included something that uh, monitored your blood, there are diabetes patients uh, right now. I know one in particular that literally has um, a machine attached to her all of the time that will uh, release insulin into her bloodstream. Um, and there's an app on her phone. So we already have this technology. Uh, the question becomes, you know, when will it be readily available and who's going to want to actually use it? Um, but the future to me looks like Chipotle sending you an ad when they see your blood sugar is dropping, you know, Coke serving you ads um, when they uh, can monitor, you know, caffeine reduction in terms of milligrams in your bloodstream, which sounds far out. But if you talk to someone 200 years ago and you tell them that I would have a call with someone from India this morning with zero lag, they would think you're talking about some magical telepathic um, impossibility. And so Facebook capturing 2000 hours of first person video to train next generation AI, one can only imagine uh, what they will use that for. But they're doing it. Facebook to change rules on attacking public figures on its platforms. As I mentioned earlier, um, in lieu or of, uh, rather in light of uh, Francis Haugen's testimony in front of Congress, um, showing internal Facebook documents saying that they don't do anything um, on about 95 to 97% of hate speech on the platform um, and 0.6% of violence. So they do almost nothing uh, when it comes to violent content. How true is that? I'm not sure, but she testified in front of Congress. I mean, there's internal studies from Facebook. It's not looking good. Facebook, obviously, um, they're aware of that. They're trying to do something about it. What are they doing? They're saying that, for example, in the instance of George Floyd's death, they remove content that um, is uh, considered hate speech because, in their mind, they made him an involuntary public figure. This from Reuters dot com. And so the basic idea is if you're a public figure, you get different rules. Um, and it's interesting to me. So George Floyd, they use as a way to stop hate speech. But then if you have another public figure like a president or something, they use that same logic to say, no, you can call for the death of this person. That seems very strange to me. Um, I don't know why we would treat these people um, that differently. Um, I don't really think calling for the death of anyone is a smart move. And I think the anonymity of the Internet is uh, is problematic. Um, I have uh, never really used anonymous profiles. And so I haven't had the desire to say things under this sort of masked identity. Um, but if you are that kind of person and you have a bunch of anonymous internet avatars, uh, you know, drop us a line, leave a comment, youtube.com for us. I send it rising. Um, there's a lot of trolls on TikTok. I've gotten a lot of funky comments, stuff that I cannot imagine for a millisecond, someone actually saying to my face in um, the non-digital space, they easily say on places like TikTok, social media, et cetera. So moving right along, NPR.org, Facebook will adopt new policies to address harassment targeting public figures. Facebook's going to expand its current harassment policies 
to further protect users from abuse and harmful content. They announced they banned content that degrades or sexualizes, oh, public figures, interesting, such as elected officials, celebrities, activists, and journalists. So this flies in the face of the other article, which, which uh, stated that it's fine to call for the death of some of these individuals. Here we have an article that's saying that they're going to um, kind of crack down. So Facebook talking about removing severe sexualizing content um, the company saying, quote, because what is unwanted can be subjective, we'll rely on additional context from the individual experiencing the abuse to take action. It sounds like the uh, victim in these particular situations is going to have to say something, do something. Um, I can only imagine what it's like to be a uh, powerful woman um, who is subject to just thousands and thousands of comments like this that would fall under the severe sexualized content umbrella. And then um, you have to, I don't know, I, maybe in one email they'll go through all of them. But if they're asking for a case-by-case -case basis, that seems um, that seems unrealistic. So hopefully they would just go through the whole account. According to the article, Facebook will also remove coordinated mass intimidation and harassment that comes from multiple users. I like that. Um, that reminds me of doxing and some of the other horrifying things that our people are doing to intimidate and make other people feel terrible online so here we go so the article continues on talking about the whistleblower francis haugen's interview and congressional testimony and uh this to me is sort of facebook going you know what we have enough money i understand that facebook has to pay their employees and and that they've gotten accustomed to a certain standard of living and all this sort of thing and when they look at inflammatory content from one perspective it's just really profitable for them and so they don't they do not have a financial incentive to make those kind of creators angry uh and because those those people will straight leave the platform and so that's what the uh, existential crisis i think facebook is having is that if they are to really bring the hammer down um they will lose people um so these people that are saying these things that are uh, being trolls they produce a lot of content and the content that they produce is incendiary and therefore it gets a lot of likes and shares. And so they are these money makers for Facebook. I mean, I, I refer to it as getting Zuckerberg. Um, if you spend a bunch of time on Facebook, getting people to yell, scream, fight, whatever, comment, share, it doesn't matter. You are working for Mark. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like your time has value. And when I ask someone to produce content for my company, Send It Rising, I pay them. Facebook does not do this. Um, they are not paying you uh, to produce comment. They're not paying you for likes, shares, that sort of stuff. TikTok does. Um, there are other platforms that do that. If you uh, if you have a great page, um, maybe that's something Facebook would consider in the future. But um, the reality is YouTube does it. You get a ton of views. You can monetize. It is interesting to me that Facebook just never had to do that. They they basically said, keep on churning out content. You know, we we got addicted to Facebook because it was such a powerful platform back in the day and it houses all of our photos and so much history. And, and we go, you know what, that's enough. Like, we're not going to ask for Facebook to uh, pay us, uh, but they are making money hand over fist. There's no question about that. Google rolling out continuous scroll on mobile. This is relevant simply because, um, as I mentioned earlier, the guy who um created continuous scroll thought it was a mistake um 
And now Google search results are getting so filled with what's what's referred to as rich snippets, which are photos, videos, that sort of stuff. That scrolling does kind of make sense. I'm literally looking at a GIF of what it looks like. If you're looking at a recipe, for example, pumpkin pie recipe, there's a million different things that Google can provide. And I think continuous scroll on mobile is going to be quite interesting. So I wouldn't e so easily dismiss it. It's going to change the way people behave. And I would argue that the top results won't be as relevant as they used to be. They'll still be very relevant. but And you still definitely want to rank in the top three. That being said, um, as people scroll, um, a lot of other folks that normally wouldn't be seen will be seen. Bloomberg.com. Can Twitter get us to be nice? Twitter Inc. is trying to change the cesspool, as this article puts it, um, of what's going on. Um, it now alerts people who are about to retweet misinformation on topics such as elections and COVID-19. And it recently began asking people to actually read articles before retweeting. So these little alerts um, must be based on some sort of artificial intelligence, some sort of programming that that says, okay, you're about to quote some quote something about COVID-19 and mask usage, or you're about to quote something about vaccinations, or you're about to quote something about climate change. And you get these little alerts. Now, if you fervently disagree with that little alert, that's going to bug you. And that might drive you off the platform in, in, or it may drive you to simply tweet about the alerts and, and get more um, people who agree with you to like you, uh, follow you, share your content, etc. Um, but things like this, it's so fascinating that um, these social media um, behemoths are taking a stand um, because they're private companies and they have the right to do that. Um, as I mentioned before, with the rise of Parler for conservatives, uh, we will see a bifurcation of these platforms um, into this sort of left-right liberal conservative um uh, space. I mean, there's just no no way of uh, avoiding it, I, I think. Um, back to the article. In some cases, if users try to tweet something mean or offensive, automated pop-ups now ask them to think twice. That's so interesting. As the article continues, these changes may sound modest, but they're as radical. Um, but they're radical as far as tech companies go. And I would agree with that. So th this idea that, you know, you're 16 and you're about to say something you're going to regret in 15 minutes and this little alert comes up, I don't know, man, it sounds kind of like the angel on your shoulder. And while I understand that there's, there's an argument that it's this totalitarian, you know, kind of a ethics changing brainwashing, I think if someone reminds you to be a nice person, that's, that's probably not the end of the world. The, uh, it's almost like the, uh, um, the counter to anonymity, uh, because anonymity will often result in people behaving in a way that is not typical for a functional and loving society, <laughs> which is to say, you know, if the adult in the room happens to be artificial intelligence that says, yeah, here's an idea. Uh, maybe don't call that person that horrifying thing. You know, it's on the internet. It's only going to last forever. So you might want to stop. And let's talk about that in general. Let's talk a little bit about love um, and uh, anonymity. So in a perfect world, I would argue, uh, we see each other's uh, see each other as ourself. Um, we notice the plight of other people and we see it as our plight. Uh, when others are hungry, we're hungry. When they're satisfied, we're satisfied. We we realize the community and the fact that we are literally breathing the same air, we are drinking the same water, 
and it is vitally important for us to understand that we are one body. And uh, in that realization, we begin to treat one another differently at a bare minimum on a linguistic level. Uh, what we say to one another. It's so important to be honest and to love everyone. And that doesn't mean that people are going to come over to my house and, you know, I'm going to invite all the homeless people into my garage and, you know, take care of all of them and give them all of my money. This is not what this means. Um, what it means is uh, someone can do harm to you in some way, shape or form, and you can still love them and not want to be around them. Does this make sense? And I know that sounds wild, but it's true because the reality is there are people, you know, there's what, 7 billion people. I don't know what the world population is now, somewhere around there. Um, and I can't interact with all of them, but my perception of them and my respect for them, my empathy for them, and ultimately my love for them is outside of necessarily their actions. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's like when, when someone enters into my world, um, whether or not I choose to spend more time with them and whether or not I love them and their story and where they happen to find themselves is kind of like two different worlds. For example, if I see someone on the street and I bump into them um, and they're like, Hey buddy, watch it. I'm like, it's all good, dude. Just keep walking. I can love that guy. How and why would you do that? Well, if I don't love that guy, now I'm holding onto that poison, right? If I'm angry at that dude, now I'm the, like, there's no good reason that, that guy, like by not loving him, I give him all this power over me by loving him. I'm like, ah, oh, look, yeah, I love him. I get it. You know, it, it is what it is. So the point of all that is like, look, these big social media networks, as they crack down on these sorts of people, I hope that they are acting out of a place of love. Um, I hope that they are thinking to themselves, you know what? Um, these people on these platforms, um, we're going to start booting them off because they're not doing what they should. It's like a teacher who loves the student who is bad mouthing them. And the way in which they love them is, is by saying that's not okay. It's tough love. I guess what I'm talking about is tough love at the end of the day, I'm talking about tough love and the social media companies desire to do that and pray and hope that it's not going to completely collapse their company because, Tough love when in a kind of parent situation is they're your kids. Where are they going to go? Tough love in a teacher situation is they're your students. What are they going to get up and leave? And so there's this notion that tough love only really is possible, you know, in these uh, sort of um, rooms in which, you know, there's a socio-cultural dynamic that says that you can't leave. So, but I don't buy that. I think that tough love is love in the end. Um, and that it's uh, incredibly important. And so my hope is that Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, can practice some tough love. And then it's totally fine if people want to get up and go, you know, you're free to go, you know, go start another social media platform if you don't like it. And, and then uh, the rallying cry of these other social media platforms, I mean, you would hope that they would do the same thing, that they would uh, express that tough love. Google YouTube to prohibit ads and monetization on climate denial content. Talking about more tough love. I don't know where you fall on this particular, you know, um, on this particular theme of climate change. Um, I think it's very clear that the climate is warming. I think that's, you know, scientifically proven over and over again. Um, but when people talk about, you know, I don't know, economies and how to wean ourselves off oil and the use of plastic. I mean, these are nuanced and interesting conversations. So what exactly does Google mean and YouTube mean when they talk about climate denial? I don't know. 
Um, but let's find out. Google and YouTube on Thursday announced a new policy that prohibits climate deniers from being able to monetize their content on its platform via ads or creator payments. This from Axios.com. So this is going to create sort of a you know another um, subculture of people that go put their videos somewhere else because if they get demonetized, they will go somewhere else. Um, that being said, this is sort of that tough love argument I was making before. So what exactly is um, denial? So this includes, according to the article, content referring to climate change as a hoax or a scam, claims denying that long-term trends show the global climate is warming, claims denying that greenhouse gas emissions uh, or human activity contribute to climate change. So one of the fears that I have is, you know, here I am talking about climate change and the... Um, the algorithm is picking up on that. And so if for whatever reason they think that me talking about it um, is me uh, denying it, then they could shut down the monetization on this channel. Do you see what I'm saying? So um, these sorts of problems are the same problems that people have with policing, which means uh, that they assume uh, certain things. And when they get it wrong, it's really, really bad uh, for the content creators. And those people might leave too, because um, they were falsely accused of something. Um, and so policing is hard. Let's recap, shall we? Um, Facebook capturing more than 2000 hours of first person video to train next generation AI. Things are going to get wild, folks. They already are. If you think about it, you know, go back 50 years and you look at what we're doing today. It's absolutely mind boggling. Um, what I'm capable of doing in front of a computer screen. I'm watching Seinfeld and his little dumb, like antiquated prehistoric computer that's sitting uh, on his uh, desk in that show is just so funny to me. I mean, that thing doesn't do anything. Um, and that was, you know, the early nineties, how far we've come. Facebook changing rules on attacking public figures on its platform. I mean, I get calls for revolution. I get telling people talking about policy and, and getting angry at leaders and wanting change. Um, I just feel like calling for their death or like coordinating an attack, that sort of stuff. I don't know. It seems pretty wild to me uh, calling for the death of a leader. I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem, doesn't seem uh, appropriate, but Facebook thinks it is. It's, they seem like it's fine, but they're beginning to crack down on some of these things. So we'll see, you know, and then of course the counter argument is, what, you know, like you've got some sort of North Korean, you can't talk bad about dear leader, you know, fascist re regime. Uh, that's obviously horrifying. We don't want that either. So it's still love, still the answer. Facebook will adopt new policies to address harassment, targeting public figures. And like, like if Kim Jong-un had, you know, love for his people, they wouldn't be starving. Um so, or yeah, they, well, I think that's true. Facebook will adopt new policies to address harassment, targeting public figures. Yep, we get it. Cracking down, tough love. Google rolling out continuous scroll. That's kind of a neat technological change. Uh, Twitter cracking down. I guess this is the tough love episode. That's what we're talking about. All these social media uh, channels doing exactly that. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a happy camper. I hope life is going good for you and everything is going swimmingly. I hope you get everything that you want and that you see the perfection of the universe. Thank you for swinging by the show today. I genuinely appreciate it. If you want to love us, why don't you swing by youtube.com forward slash Shandit Rising, S-E-N-D-I-T-R-I-S-I-N-G dot, not dot com, just youtube.com forward slash Shandit Rising. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify. If you want to find us there, just type in marketing as a foreign language. That's M-F-L, marketing as a foreign language. Download some episodes, hit the like button and all that sort of thing. Uh, you, the listener, are the most important piece of this puzzle. I'd love to hear from you. 
If you do join us for the live show, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, all you got to do is click on that little chat button like Alejandra just did. She wrote, excellent, and I appreciate that, Alejandra. Um, you leave a comment, and uh, boom, I hear it, I see it, it warms my heart, and uh, and I appreciate it. So love you all. I hope you have a, a wonderful um, whatever it is you're doing, day, night. Who knows when you're listening to this. Goodbye for now.